Hello. Welcome, everyone, to the, this edition of the Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IOFM. Today, I have my, my good friend, um, Chris Freeman, with me. Chris is a, uh, a, a strength coach and a trainer, kettlebell instructor. He currently works out of Lexington Athletic Club, where I worked for a significant period of time. And the interesting thing about what I do, for, especially being in Lexington since 2001, is and being in a place like LAC, Lexington Athletic Club, you know, for as long as I was there, I think from like 2001 to like 2009, you're dealing with like four or 5,000 people, you know, four or 5,000 members, you're seeing thousands of different people a day and you get to meet all sorts of interesting people. And I first met Chris probably when you were what, in middle school? Yeah. 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 And um, Chris was this kind of skinny kid, great kid that uh, was working out with one of the, the coaches there. And, um, He'd come in there all the time. At the time, he was going to like a, a private Christian school, and he later went to, to public high school. But, you know, one day Chris kind of disappeared. I didn't see him for a while, and then he came back, and he had, you know, this skull and crossbones tattoo on his elbow. And I was like, dude, what's 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 going on here? And it was kind of like I was like uh, kind of shocked because I, I never would have thought in a million years. And he was like, well, I, I joined the Marine Corps. And I was like, wow, like, okay, that's kind of a little bit of a, a culture shock. And then – I'll just kind of give you an overview of the history is, is, uh, you know, Chris ended up having a, a very serious trauma and, and, and seeing that in, in this interview, the main reason I wanted to do this interview is that every person in life goes through struggles and goes through adversity, everybody to a different degree. Obviously people, you know, some people have, you know, issues they think that are really big that obviously are not. Um, but Chris has been through some pretty hellacious things. And in this interview, I'm going to ask him a lot of personal questions. So, you know, Chris, and we're doing this in person, actually, which very rarely happens. So, you know, saying that as a disclaimer, I'm, I might ask some pretty uncomfortable questions. And, and I've told Chris uh, before the interview that he's more than welcome to basically veto any of the questions that I ask that might be might be too personal because we're dealing with, you know, combat and injuries and traumas and death and all that kind of stuff. So we, we could end up getting into some uh, some stuff that's a little too sensitive uh, for Chris, and he, he has the veto power on that. Um, so, but, but basically, I met I met Chris. He ended up going into the Marines, and then Chris ended up getting getting injured severely. And uh, we'll talk about that. But then I actually got to work with Chris at a at a facility here in, in Lexington. And, and, and Chris and I have spent a lot of time together. So I've, I've worked with Chris. I've been around Chris. And, and we still uh, interact professionally and as friends. Um, so I've known Chris for a, for a very long time. So I, I think this interview is, and, and we're going to get into talking about what Chris is doing now to help others with, you know, what he's been through. And, 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 and that's really, really admirable. And uh, I think that's something that people need to grasp is that when you go through difficult situations, you know, that's a way of, you know, whatever you believe faith-wise, but that's a way that you're basically gaining experience so that you can help others. You know, if you take your adversity in your life and you learn from that, you know, whether it's sickness or illness or, or, or cat catastrophe, you know, you're going to be able to help other people through those things, through your experience. So you can always turn these things into a positive. So Chris, why don't we just, uh, why don't we just start with, you know, when I met you in middle school, you know, what, what did you play sports? Like what, what kind of stuff were you into at that time? 
Sure. So uh, thanks for having me, Jim. Oh, you're it's welcome. Good to be here. Um, so I started off, I was pretty, uh, I would consider myself pretty unathletic. Um, to an extent, I would be what I would consider a motor moron. Um, as far as my ability to, to learn, my body awareness just was awful. And I didn't grow until my sophomore year of high school, right? So I got into a little bit of football in retrospect. I didn't even know that there was track and you can, you know, throw things or maybe wrestling. And uh, But I like being part of a team. I like training with weights. And I quickly discovered uh, in gym class actually how weak I was. And uh, you know, just from sitting on the couch for a few years playing video games. And I was rolling the guitar and music as a kid. Um, so, you know, when I started using my body and trying to challenge myself, I realized how low my level of preparedness was. And it, uh, it pissed me off. And it kind of got me going and got me in the gym. And that's when I started, you know, running into you at LAC. And, you know, I was training with another coach, uh, Coach Brian there. And, uh, you know, that kind of got me started. Yeah, and I was a little different person back then than I am now, but sure, uh, <laughs> in some ways. And as um, far as my draw to the Marine Corps, you know, people have asked me that, and I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure it came from seeing a, a special on the Discovery Channel making Marines, right? And I was shocked. Um, it was a, a like a thirty or sixty minute special about boot camp, mm -hmm. and the change in these kids. I was like. I want this. Okay. Like I need this. So, so that's basically what inspired a motor moron, who, <laughs> who is basically physically uh, not inept but challenged, right? Um, to join the Marine Corps because he was like, "Oh wow, that's what I want." You know, I want to have that what they've got, right? Okay, you know. So, so how did you do, did you go to the recruiting office? You, you enlisted on your own? Yeah. Uh, so, so when I got serious about it, um, I was like, well, I need to, I need to train. So I started, you know, doing a little bit of research online. I got some books, you know, about, you know, PT exercises and, you know, I basically did the whole, you know, pull ups, push ups, sit ups, three mile run type of deal. And, um, I saw progress mm -hmm. and I was hooked. Cool. Uh, did a lot of swimming, a lot of running. And, um, you know, from that point, once I was ready enough physically, I started talking to the recruiters um, 2003, so that would have been my senior year of high school, and I actually enlisted. My parents had to co-sign because I wasn't 18 yet. So somehow in war, you know, combat, wartime, 2003, I convinced my parents to co-sign for me my enlistment papers because at that time, guys were pushing so hard to go into infantry that it was backed up. I couldn't even go to boot camp till July, right? Which worked out for me because I wasn't graduating until June, anyways. Right. So. So, so basically, you, you enlisted during a combat. Uh, you know, we were in active combat in, in Iraq uh, yeah. when, when, when you enlisted. And, and what was your, your, did your parents have a lot of hesitation? Oh, sure. I mean, they were like, you're completely crazy. I'm, I've been the type of kid that I get into something and I'm kind of like all in. Right. Um, but I've also had a lot of different interests, you know, since I was growing up and continued to do so. So I think at first they probably thought it was a phase. And they saw how hard I was working to make this goal happen. Right. And, uh, you know, I wasn't driven to go to, to college right out of high school. Um, I didn't. I knew that I didn't have that drive in me, and I wanted a different path. And I needed to prove myself, and, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted that challenge. Sure. Um, you know, we see on TV and we see, um, you know, SEALs training and, and the Marine Corps. And, you know, obviously out of all branches other than, like, what they do in BUDS. You know, the Marines are the toughest, you know, unless you're getting into like the Army Special Forces, like Rangers and Green Beret and things like that. Right. You know, it's the toughest boot camp there is. And, and could you share a little bit about the experience of what it's like 
to go into that? And was it was it worse than what you expected or because you were educated? It was you you were able to you were like, oh, I know what I'm getting into. Was it was it worse than what you expected? Was it better than what you expected? What what kind of uh, experience did you have? It was about what I expected. Um, you know, physically, I didn't feel like uh, it definitely wasn't the most challenging thing that I did while I was on the Marine Corps. You know, that would be later at uh, Amphibious Reconnaissance School in Virginia. Um, mentally, it was weird because you're, you know, basically your drill instructor's bitch for 13 weeks. Um, and we call it, you know, when you, when you go into boot camp, you lose your brain. You know, they take your brain from you when you're a Marine, and then hopefully at some point you'll get it back. <laughs> but you, yeah, you just you learn to follow you know orders, and uh, you know execute you know quickly with intensity, and it's just uh, it's just a big head game you know the whole thirteen weeks and you learn a lot of stuff, uh, but it's just really you know, yeah, an indoctrination. There's a lot of shouting, a lot of yelling, um, you know. As far as there's no you know physical abuse really to speak of, but you are making guys that go fight a war, so it's not you know. It's not super easy, right? It's not but, cupcakes and hand holding. No, uh, you know there was a there was a few kids in my platoon I can remember. You're gonna graduate on the parade deck with me tomorrow, and I, you're a marine, really, because I would see how they would react to the training, right? Um, but you know, not all marines are combat marines, so you know, every marine's a rifleman, but you know, that's only true to an extent. But that's why I got drawn to marine recon later on. So okay. Did, were you selected for that, or did you choose that on your own? So at that point in time, they now have like a uh, like a contract that you can you can sign. I wasn't promised anything. All that I was promised was I was going to pull a trigger. So I enlisted as a 0300 open, which is just any infantry MOS, and MOS is military occupational specialty. So whatever your job title is going to be, and um, I enlisted as a 0300. So uh, when I was at School of Infantry training, this is after boot camp, you're given the opportunity to take the recon screening. If you have the ASVAB score, your GT score is good enough, meaning you're smart enough, you've got the proper rifle score, and your PFT is high enough. So at that point in time, I got the opportunity to take your that. Your PT or your physical preparedness. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah your, your physical fitness test. And um, so I passed the screening. You know, there was about five of us out of about 50 kids. They were trying to push, you know, for you know more recon Marines at that point in time. Well, obviously in combat, you need that recon is one of the most important important jobs yeah I mean we're, t we're talking guerrilla warfare small unit tactics uh, it's just you know necessary for modern warfare right so it was you know five out of 50 of us passed the screening and then five of us went through uh, what you call recon and doc platoon so they call it rip um, and you're there for you know an undisclosed amount of time how whenever you can get a school seat provided your cadres or instructors want to send you to recon school I was there about three and a half months and then I uh, went to Amphibious Recon School, which they no longer have. It's all uh, basic recon course on the West Coast now. So they've done away with ARS, but uh, I graduated there in 2005. Um, was stationed at Camp Lejeune after that, and I was with the 2nd Recon Battalion. How long were you between boot camp and your, your recon training? Did you actually go to combat? It was, uh, it was you, about, you pretty much knew you were going to war when you enlisted. Oh, yeah, that's why I went. Um, okay. You know, and as far as, you know, all the my buddies that I served with in recon, that's that was why we all joined. You know, okay. we were we were craving that. You know, we all wanted to. Um, so that was about two years of training. Why do, you, why do you think you crave that combat experience? Was it because of the 9-11 stuff, or was it something inside of you that you just wanted to prove that you could do it? Like, what makes somebody 
want to go to war. You know, because I mean, you know, I think I think Hollywood has glamorized warfare. Oh, you yeah. know, uh, I mean, I've watched. You know, I've I'm a huge history nerd, and I've, I've always been interested in the military. And you know, I watched like, like Saving Private Ryan. If you haven't watched that, that is probably the closest rendition you've seen that haven't you yeah real combat that i mean and it's horrible as hell yeah so what going into your mind like what makes a young man want to do something like that when when you know it's not going to be going to be fun like what was going what why what is your mindset on, on something like that uh i would say at first it was probably like the former you see like you know the kind of the glory the, the idealistic, you know, part of war and what has to be done. Later on, it became, you know, the training. Right. And the, you know, they build that into your, your makeup now as your, your new identity is a, is a Marine or a recon Marine. That's your new deal. And, um, as you grow closer with your buddies on your workup, I mean, everything is geared towards, towards that, that end goal of be, going down range and, you know, doing our job. Kicking ass kicking ass and it's just like I'll never be that cool again is the joke you know right but uh that's how it was and it was you know it was gory and you know it was there was a lot of bad shit that went down but it was also all this training builds up and you're doing your job and nobody's fucking with you Mm -hmm. you know the marines there's a lot of games and there's a lot of bullshit and there's a lot of your red tape bureaucracy a lot of stupid stuff you know gear inspections twice in the rain you know, you got to draw all your, dry all your gear out, you know, that kind of stuff. And when you're deployed, you're doing your job. And, you know, you're with your team of five guys or your platoon. Right. You're punched out, and it's at, it feels great. Yeah, that, that camaraderie, you know, I've watched from a lot of the documentaries and stuff that I've watched about World War II and about Vietnam and the reading that I've done. You know, these guys talk about, you know, they haven't seen each other in 40 years, you know, some of these World War II veterans, and then they meet each other, and it's like they've never even left like the bond you get from going to combat with somebody is like nothing else you can experience you know right. so i can see the kind of the, the the drive towards that and you got married at, at that at, about at that time too didn't you we were actually still just dating oh, okay. um you know we'd only been dating for a few months you know when i deployed uh, we didn't get married till you know until after after my recovery from injuries and that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. So I didn't realize that. Well, yeah. We kudos kudos for her for sticking with you up through that. Oh yeah, Jordan's a hell of a girl. So yeah, we've been dating. Uh, I think uh, six months mm-hmm. before I deployed. Right. And she was yeah you know, right there. How how hard everything. was that having a, a relationship while you're in in basic and in training and all that kind of stuff? But I imagine it also provides you an outlet when you do get to talk and 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 that sort of thing and and you develop. Um, you know, obviously a connection that's beyond just the physical stuff. Sure. You know, you develop that kind of emotional connection. Uh, what was that like for you, you know, having that kind of serious relationship? Well, you know, obviously I, I would imagine that kind of helped keep you grounded in a way. Um, so when I was going through like some of my toughest schools, you know, we weren't, you know, we weren't dating yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but once we started doing the workup, you know, by that time we were together. And, uh, you know, during deployment. So I would, it definitely changes the way that you think about things, uh, you know, and who you're going to call first. You know, she was number one, and then my parents. Sorry, mom and dad. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it changes the way that you think about things. And I mean, I knew as soon as I, as soon as we punched out, you know, when we got, we touched down in Kuwait, you know, we weren't even in Fallujah yet. 
I was like, this is the girl that I want to hold on to. I knew, you know, I knew right then. So it, it, things get serious pretty quick. So that's kind of yeah. how we, kind of how it happened for us. So let's let's get into the into the crazy the crazy stuff. You know, so you were deployed, and and you know, obviously you were doing. You know, give us kind of an idea of the kind of stuff that you can talk about that that you were doing once you got there, and and what what the status of the of of events were when you when you got there. Right. So we got into country. Um, you know, we did our left seat, right seat rides. You know, which is where you're transitioning with. We were transitioning at that time with first recon, and uh, you know, it was pretty quiet when we got there. We got there around March 2006. And uh, it was kind of eerie because we were able to walk around places that you're not supposed to be walking around, um, you know. And there's a lot of new guys. It was about 50-50 guys that have deployed one or two times. My platoon sergeant at the time, uh, he, he this was his sixth deployment, so you know it was old hat for him. And uh, but you know we were we were well trained, so we uh, I think it was around April and we started getting hit, you know, a lot with a lot of IEDs at that point in time. You know, booby traps for you that, that don't really know yeah, anything roadside about bomb combat. is the real common you know right. I call it a misnomer because uh, you know if it was on the side of the road it's not going to inflict the damage as if it was directly underneath the vehicle sure so uh, we they ID the shit out of us um, you know some small arms not really a whole lot of mortar fire because they were so inaccurate you know right. why risk it when they could just dig it in right and make an IED so um, we had some really serious stuff in in May. 2006 um so what we were doing over there we would do anything from direct action raids uh knock and talks where we're going around a, a village and we're just um gathering intelligence we're asking them what they need sometimes we make deliveries of food supplies you know toys for the for the kids around there i mean they didn't even have a soccer ball they, Heart, hearts and minds quote unquote. hearts and minds exactly and then still so, you know trying to get some trust so you can get bad guys and, and figure out who you need to take care of. Right. You know, and always be ready to kill. So there was a, I was in primarily in the Zidon when we were in Fallujah, which is kind of a, a countryside area. So it was actually surprisingly green because uh, they had a lot of irrigation systems. So that was kind of weird. There was a lot of livestock and a lot of greenery, but it was also, they never had a government. So it was completely, yeah, uncontrolled. In other words, there was a lot of foreign fighters that were moving in and out of the area, a lot of insurgents, so it was just kind of uh, a little bit wild, I guess. Yeah. So let's get into um, how long um, were you over there and active before you had your incident? So we got there in March, like early March, and I got uh, I got hit June 6, 2006 was the time that I got blown up, which is, you know, it's D-Day. Um, 6606 it's a um, complete irony about the number sequence sure and uh, anytime I see it it does give me you know cold chills uh, so yeah we've been there about three months do you feel comfortable talking about what you went through on that day yeah, yeah. so give me a little bit of an idea what what was going down I think I believe from a little I know about it you were out in a Humvee yeah doing some you know we were doing we were winning hearts and minds man we were doing knock and talks uh, we punched out early that morning on a, a vehicle patrol. We only had two Humvees because we were only going about a mile and a half from our uh, firm base that so we set up in a house. Um, so we had two vehicles. We punched out. We did some foot patrols, walking around, handing out toys. And uh, we were out there for a little too long. And uh, I don't know if they had uh, this 
IED, an improvised explosive device, had been dug into a dirt road for a little while, and somehow we missed it on the way out there. Um, the, the way it works is it's a, uh, with a pressure plate IED, as you have a positive and negative charge. It could be a PVC pipe, two planks of wood, but their little cars could drive over the shit. You know, right. our it's not enough weight. To... Not enough pressure, right? Right. So the thing about those is they're timed perfectly. So on our way back, um, you know, it's probably around five or six. You know, that's 